from a raw data perspective, a lot of companies tend to focus on financial data because it's already very orderly, discrete, easy to process. And what's more difficult is to understand things that are less discrete, like strategies that we can reuse and do it in, in less of a feelings way and more of a data-oriented way. I'm Patrick Pacheco, and you're listening to Season 4 of In Good Companies from Cadence Bank, the podcast where we have your best interest at heart. Because at Cadence, we're much more than a provider of financial services. We're a lifetime advocate driven by your success. If you've been listening to In Good Companies often, and I hope you have, you might have picked up on how we do things around here. We bring in interesting guests and start every episode with a little bit of data. And that's because data is a powerful tool. As a listener, it gives you food for thought, it grounds a lot of our discussions, and most importantly, it gives our work direction and purpose. In fact, you know what's coming here. According to a recent survey by Deloitte, 83% of business leaders believe that leveraging data can reap benefits for their organization and for their workers too. But here's the thing. Only 19% are actually ready to take on that work. So how do you bridge that gap? Well, why not meet with today's guests? My name is Mike Monciano. I am the Director of Engineering Growth at Clarity. Hey, I'm James Chapman. I'm an operations engineering lead here at Clarity Innovations. When it comes to data, Mike Lanciano and James Chapman are miracle workers. Both are engineering executives for Clarity Innovations, a firm that connects people with accessible digital services and cutting-edge data solutions. From government to commercial organizations, they have helped clients tap into the power of data. In today's episode, Mike and James reveal how to forge information inside our companies and put it to good use. Because data can improve our processes, our products, and our business culture. But only we turn it into intelligence. So to start off, let's break down what that means. Yeah, so Clarity uh, is a digital services firm. We provide all of the services that back folks who consume and use data. We're talking about making sure that the data is organized, visualized, uh, and uh, tells a appropriate story. And making sure that we identify kind of the key trends and points. You know, data is just data. So the intelligence point is really kind of uh, bringing to the surface the things that matter to you. Data is ultimately kind of what we get to because that's the new oil, so to speak. It's the new thing that everybody is trying to get to to in, like enrich their environments uh, and their lives. And clients have sometimes questions that they know that they need to answer and they think that they have the data to answer it. And that data may be just difficult to wrangle, but also looking for new and novel techniques to understand, you know, okay, I have this data. What, what does it tell me? What does it actually do? So making that data easier to utilize, can you walk me through kind of a typical intelligence solution, something you guys have, have done that might kind of highlight how you guys work? Yeah, so everybody kind of wants to get to this ultimate state of driving intelligence and looking at those things. Uh, but typically, like an end-to-end -end solution looks at kind of like the current data sets that you have and moving that data into the proper place where it can be fused, organized, sorted, cataloged. And that's all of those things that an end-to-end -end solution will start doing. And once you have those types of data structures in place, right, moving into applying different solutions on top of those uh, data silos and understanding how to drive this intelligence, whether they be machine learning algorithms, applied statistics, trying to understand uh, kind of what's in the data. And then ultimately to the end of that, which is visualizing and delivering all of the things that come out of those insights 
in a way that makes sense for the organization to understand it, right? So, but whether it be a dashboard or whether it be uh, analytical reports, um, all of those things go into uh, specific visualization. James? I agree 100% with Mike. One of the things I, I wanted to tag on about data is that our customers have almost all the data they need, but they're incapable of extracting answers and solutions for their problems out of that data. It's a really an evolving landscape. You need someone that's immersed themselves in that world of data markets to understand like, hey, we came in to help you solve XYZ problem. You guys have this data, but there's a complementary data set over here that you don't know about. And if we bring those two together, it would really be like a, a peanut butter and jelly or peanut butter and chocolate, whatever your preference is, their kind of moment. Sometimes I think people don't realize how much data they have, especially when it comes to like employment, HR organizations, the personally identifiable information. And then when your organization starts looking to derive value from that unstructured data, sometimes there's this moment of panic in that, oh man, we we have data that we have to really protect. You know, like not only are we thinking about our data and how we can get value out of the data, but now we have something that our employees or customers would not want exposed. And so I think when they become aware of it, it also kind of pivots to a security mindset too. Like, oh man, I really need to step it up and protect this data more. And you guys can help provide that security and that protection of that data, correct? Yeah. I mean, every, everything Clarity does is through a cybersecurity lens. And yeah, data is no exception. Like we come from a lot of cybersecurity backgrounds. So that's kind of how we always look through data to make sure that we're, we're carefully protecting assets that are valuable to companies, individuals, et cetera. So sometimes companies underestimate how much in aggregate information can be useful uh, in terms of things that you want to protect and, and how you want to keep those. So we talked about silos earlier. It's like some of those silos are intentional, right? Because uh, that data in, in aggregate oftentimes tells a little bit more of a story than you want to, um, especially if it's public. Financial and life journeys are as different as the people who embark on them. Reaching your goals takes guidance and making the right moves. Helping you get there is what we do best. Visit CadenceBank.com to find out why Cadence is the bank for you. Cadence Bank, member FDIC. To turn data into gold, look for it in every corner of your business. And don't be afraid to break down barriers. The more you explore, the more potential you'll find in your company. Take it from James. Companies are organizational structures, and usually just like an org chart, there are walls that we put up between different divisions. And it's done out of necessity. You know, it's a kind of a not everyone needs to know everything all the time. That would be overwhelming, but finding a way to lower those walls between organizations to take an honest assessment of the types of data a business could use that, that you already have. It could be things as simple as what skill sets are resident in my workforce. And I think from a raw data perspective, a lot of companies tend to focus on their financial expenditures and optimizing outgoing funds. And that's a valiant effort, but I think companies prioritize that financial data because it's already very orderly, discrete, easy to process. And what's more difficult is to understand things that are less discrete, like what is our proposal investment versus win rate, being able to understand those winning themes and strategies that we can reuse and do it in, in less of a feelings way and more of a data-oriented way is what I think gives clarity um, a little bit of a winning edge. What kind of data do businesses tend to gather? You said financial information. What are they starting to gather that maybe they didn't gather before? I think it depends on the business, especially like when they have a lot of unstructured data which could be uh, things that are not like quite fitting into an Excel like spreadsheet, like text. So things that you've written about, things that you've published, like a website. Those are things I think companies are starting to turn their head towards and say, this is stuff that I need to collect to help make larger graph decisions about like how close they are to certain business opportunities. So I would say, uh, I don't know that like, companies are collecting 
more data. I think that they're just realizing that they can derive data out of different sources or different tools that they didn't think was possible years ago. Data can teach you a lot about your business, from financials to employment to cultural needs. But to unlock these prospects, data has to be translated into human speak. So for Clarity Innovations, the name of the game is accessibility. It's a critical part of of who we are. And I think there's a real issue sometimes when you're trying to accomplish something and the tools that you're ultimately trying to use don't help you solve that problem. That was a real pain point that we were suffering with when this company was founded. And therefore, like having a system that people not only want to use, but enjoy using ultimately breeds capability because people are using your system and not going outside of your software to try and solve a different problem. So you guys provide a lot of data intelligence for other companies. So how do you use it internally? What are some of the data solutions maybe you've implemented at Clarity? Yeah, this is this is a huge passion topic of mine. James is already smiling. He knows my job title tilts towards people and kind of making sure that our our folks are equally satisfied in their careers and their jobs and uh, the things that they need to do day to day. So I, you know, I care a lot about people. I care a lot about how we are mapping people and how we understand whether or not like we're appropriately utilizing people to their skills. So we've talked about skills mapping. Um, That's one type of place where we've used data intelligence. So for instance, like when you say like, I'm a Java engineer, right? Like what potential other areas you could branch out to, you know, we've even used it just to map our internal company, right? Of how do we organize around communities of practice? So we organize folks into kind of the cohorts uh, of skills that they have, uh, software engineering, data engineering, UI, UX, and those types of things. And we've also used um, a couple of different algorithms uh, like LDAs and topic modeling to kind of look at things that we've put public facing, like our website, um, our, our responses to proposals, and kind of just map them to say like, does the tone of these things, right, match the things that we say in our core values? I.e., are we putting out information that reflects our culture as a company? And are those messages the same? And are they aligned or are they not? And do we need to adjust those? That's a really hard question to answer. It's a cultural question. It's not usually, it's not something people think of as a data question. People are often like, well, like, I read it. It sounds good, right? Like, it sounds like my core values. But as it turns out, like you can actually apply some math to understand, yeah, like if a machine described clarity today, this is how it would describe it. And then are those two things aligned? And I think that that was a really unique problem set. So we do apply those types of things internally to the company. And that's, I think, really permeated the culture. I think people are excited about us using technical problems to solve some of the harder problems that we have uh, as we grow. That's great to see. I guess the internal use is more rewarding than anything else that you're able to apply it. Now you know it works. Now we're going to go out and sell it. You know what you're doing actually works. Yeah, you touched on something that, that's also really interesting is a lot of clients don't want to be the test bed, right, of, of your ideas. Like you're innovating, you're trying new things. And as these technologies evolve, uh, like we're pretty good at usually getting the right thing out of the gate. And a lot of it depends on how well we've asked the uh, question uh, that we're trying to answer. And a lot of times our customers love to hear that we've, we've done this internally, right? And like, you know, that we've proven out that it can work and we've proven that we can do these things. Uh, that's a really comforting fact to them uh, rather than like, 
hey, like I read about this thing and I, you're going to be the first person to experience my first shot at this. Uh, I think that that's, like, that's really key about our uh, internal processes as well. So at Clarity, it's pretty simple. Teach what you preach. In-house, they use data to hone in on their values, solve structural issues, and grow their company organically. And all this work, well, it's not mad science, but it usually stems from experiment. Here's James. A project that was born out of my personal frustration was that I work on proposals with a proposal team, and uh, sometimes we see recurring themes. So when we go after one piece of work, there might be themes that I can pull from uh, past work that we've gone after where I don't have to reinvent the wheel. You know, I can reuse some of my content because it's applicable to this new problem. But we have so many work items and so many opportunities that we go after as a company on a yearly basis that we've quickly come up with this like overwhelming amount of documentation. And it becomes hard to search through that and find what I'm looking for. And so I thought, well, hey, you know, if I tackle this as an engineer, our proposal team could benefit from this as well. Can I build kind of like a chat GPT type model that would ingest our proposal data and then we could talk to it like a chatbot to say, hey, what experience does Clarity have doing this? Or help me find this type of topic from our past proposals and present that information and even be able to tell you like, hey, this is where I pulled that information from. This is it's a, this exact proposal. And so I went down this, this three-week rabbit hole of pulling multiple open source technology and kind of looking at open AI forums. Uh, and what I found is that it's something that's changing dynamically every day. This isn't solved technology. I think a lot of people are out there saying ChatGPT is the end and we've done it. AI is here. And that didn't seem to be the case. It's something that there's a lot of open source engagement on. There's a huge community about it. I stayed up late at night till like 3 a.m. talking to some guy in Amsterdam who was just there helping me. Like, hey, he was excited that someone was using his project and he was taking my feedback and we had this mutual excitement. And I think it's AI has injected this passion that I haven't seen in a really long time. And I think it's because when, like for myself, for that proposal project, I was frustrated because I couldn't find some content that I knew I had written in the past. And so I thought, you know, if I can do this, it'll make my life easier, not just now, but for future tasks. It's going to be a, a force multiplying effect for me and others on the team. And I think that's why there's this excitement around AI. People are looking at it saying, wow, this could really have huge impacts on my daily life. So I need to figure out how I can incorporate this. And that was what I was doing with this proposal project. Yeah, I can imagine how useful the proposal software is having done proposals in the past. So James, let me ask you this. I'm sure there's some bad data out there. How do you sort through that? How do you identify bad data and make sure that doesn't get pulled into the, to the good data? I mean, to be honest with you, working with bad data is a completely normal experience. It would be abnormal to have perfect data. Anyone that's worked with big data knows that when you start ingesting large quantities of data, you're going to have malformed data that, that doesn't look the way you expect. You're going to have uh, gaps in data. Uh, a good example is like stock trading data. The New York Stock Exchange, those data sets on trades and the value of stocks over time is one of the cleanest data sets we have out there. But because of technological failures or special trading days, there are often gaps in time. And people are very interested, obviously, because you can make a lot of money on the stock market in making AI algorithms that can predict what is going to be a good trade. But in order to do that, you have to ingest this massive amount of data. You have to clean it. You have to fill gaps. You have to remove the bad data. You have to take the values that that are empty or, or don't make sense for the data that you've ingested and fill those with placeholder values. So data scientists, one of the very first things they get very comfortable with doing is figuring out how can I take this data that I've gotten, how can I clean it, purify it, put it into a form that I can use to train a model 
And then that starts the data science and the AI portion of the work. But you can't do that latter part until you figured out how to wrangle the data. And it's been, I've never seen a good, unless a data scientist has given me a data set that they've already cleaned, I've never seen a good raw data set. It's easy to see how data can be a great tool for business. But when you're not an engineer, knowing where to start, well, that's another question. So if you're sitting there thinking how, instead, according to Mike, you should ask why. Start with the, the why, the question. I think that that's a, that's a great place is like, what types of questions about your organization are you trying to answer? Like the general, okay, what are we actually like going to answer and, and what, what do we care about? That's kind of like a really great place to start. Sometimes we get really caught up on the end state of what we are going to do with this data, like, and like how we're going to, like what, what types of insights and all these things like that. Oftentimes we forget about the, the first step of just even that architecture standpoint. But I think starting with the, like the, what you're trying to answer uh, goes a long way. Even just like identifying data sources, right? Like where do you, where do I start looking? What data do I have? What data do I need? What are the gaps? And that some of that goes back to even just your company culture. Like, what are the differentiators? What are the things that make you different? And how do you want to validate those things? Uh, right. So, for instance, like we knew clarity, our culture was a big thing that attracts a business uh, and people want to work with us because of our culture. And therefore, like when, our, when we started asking questions, a lot of them were about our culture and the care abouts. Once you've identified your needs and collected your material, it's only the beginning of the road. Building data structures into your business is a process. So take it step by step. One of the things that I found really helpful is once you know the problem you want to solve, you can't say, okay, we're going to throw all these resources to get to that end state. As a business, like you have a limited amount of resources, the, the nature of life. We all have limited resources. So we have to figure out how to direct those resources. And it might not be um, a monetary expense. It could be time, you know, human capital. I think it's much more helpful um, to try to come up with proximal objectives that are like a smaller subset of your main problem. And an example of that is when I started with the proposal engine, I ultimately said the problem I want to solve is I want to be able to take the corpus of Clarity's proposal knowledge and I want to have a chat bot that I can interact with that will give me answers about our experience and help accelerate my ability to write proposals. That was the big objective. But if I set out to solve that all at once, it would have never happened. My first objective was, hey, I need to get this data storage layer working so I can store data. And I got to a point where I, I had a chat bot that was kind of working. And my goal there was, I want to be able to talk to this thing. I want to be able to talk to this model and have it give me responses back. Now, it didn't give me perfect responses. Some of it was garbled up nonsense. But I had accomplished that proximal objective of now I have something that I can talk to like a chatbot that's talking back to me. And then I said, okay, well, how do I change this to give me meaningful responses? And I got that working. But now my meaningful responses took five to 10 minutes. I would ask a question and it would spin for 10 minutes. So it wasn't really conversational. It was more like, you know, smitting off into the ether, going, grabbing a coffee, coming back, hoping you had an answer, kind of like dial-up internet, really. And so I thought, well, okay, you can't wait 15 minutes, 20 minutes for an answer. So how do I tackle that? And so having those proximal objectives that are moving you closer to the end that take like minimal resource investment, that's the, just throwing a ton of resources saying we have to get to the, we have to climb Mount Everest and we're going to throw a bunch of money and a bunch of people at it and then go. Well, you're going to have a lot of people die. Like people aren't prepared to climb Mount Everest. They need training. They need years of physical preparation. They need to understand the types of things they're going to encounter on the mountain and prepare to handle those. And then only when they're ready and it's still going to be a treacherous journey, do you try to climb Mount Everest? The artificial intelligence chat GPT has come up a few times. 
So it sounds like AI can be useful in managing data, but what type of cautions do you have to utilize with, with AI? I think, you know, there's obviously the people that are going to go out there and they're going to tell you that the Terminator is going to come back in time and kill everyone. You know, AI is dangerous and it's going to take over the world. And so that's kind of unrealistic, in my opinion, um, and at least not a concern that I hope to feel in my lifetime. But one of the things that I see societally is that it's easy to assume that the experts have built this thing so that it gives you the correct answers for everything. And, you know, I'm a programmer and one of the hallmarks of software engineers is that we're lazy. Um, that's why we get into computer programming. We want to make problems as easy and repeatable as possible. So if I have to do something more than once, I'm going to script it. And so I think with AI, that laziness comes out and that you might not always verify what you're being told. And I think society as a whole, like one of the dangers I see with the uptake of AI, especially for search functionality, is that it could just become a source of truth. And by truth, I don't necessarily mean objective truth. It could be a source of subjective truth where you just assume because the AI told me this, it has veracity to it. And it might not. And one of the examples I personally experienced, I was researching a particular topic and I looked for research papers through IEEE. And any large research paper database, it's a lot to go through. And I asked ChatGPT, hey, can you give me some white papers based on this topic? And it spat back, you know, five or six different white papers and they all had uh, very nice citations. It had authors, the topic, the title of the paper sound appropriate for what I was asking. And so I'm patting myself on the back, you know, I'm going to bed, I'm going to get up the next day and I'm going to pull these research papers so I'm already ahead. But when I got up the next day and went to find those papers, I discovered that almost all of them were fabricated. So the ones that, that it had given me real citations or, or what appeared to be real citations, those papers didn't exist. And I think uh, in the AI community, they call that hallucination, where it's just something that sounds right to a human and looks factual and believable, but it, it, it's not real or it doesn't actually exist. The fact it can make up source information is concerning. How should users, you know, folks like me, how should we look at those tools? How do we utilize those tools in a, in a smart fashion? I think it's like really important to understand like what a tool is built for in terms of how you consume this, right? So you're using AI every day. Most people are, and they don't realize that they're using it, right? Like how many people have pulled up a streaming service and it says like, you would really like this show or you'd really like this thing, right? Like that's, that's a form of a recommendation engine, right? Like, and uh, you watch it and you're like, that was awful. There's strengths and weaknesses to individual tools and every tool will have its limited purpose for how you apply it. And there's, there's a really interesting part of technology that goes trust, but verify, right? Like, and, and honestly, just maybe a good life lesson for everybody, trust, but verify. <laughs> um, but like there's, there's that component of understanding that like these things are ultimately tools and you will have to sometimes verify your real world scenario. And that's, that I think is like a really good lesson because if you're basing your entire strategy, whether it be business or whether it be life or whether it be anything, right? If you're basing your entire strategy on the output of like a certain algorithm, there's always the potential for a, a, a downfall. So I think understanding what a tool does and how to apply it into a decision where you still are in control, you're still the human, uh, what we call the human in the loop to make decisions and to make authoritative like direction, whether it be about your business or whether it be about like your personal life or however you want to do those things. That's really, I think, really key in, in just understanding the context by which e each of these tools is actually uh, specified and how uh, it can fit into your process. Being the human in the loop, that means fact-checking what you find. And behind every great AI, is an algorithm made by, you guessed it, other people, which means intelligence will be a little biased. 
when we talk about bias, bias is usually in the context of people and, um, you know, discriminatory acts or, or specific ways of doing things that are inherent to humans. You know, data is not alive. Data is relatively flat, but the data itself is curated by humans. I think our individual biases end up in the data because ChatGPT itself isn't biased. AI models aren't biased. All they have to work on are the data that we've given them and they inherit whatever that data scientist has curated for them. So I do think you could have the, the opportunity to have biases and data that's really the person that's curating it, the data science that scientists that are building these models, pulling the data together um, are bringing in. And one of the things, like I, I worked in an environment where we needed um, randomness in certain times and humans aren't great at generating randomness or entropy. We all have biases, whether or not we understand them and can see them. There are overt biases that we understand and acknowledge. And then there are the ones like the subconscious biases uh, that we can't really acknowledge and understand or deal with. And I think it, it's difficult because unless we have machines building machines, it's hard to completely eliminate that. I would venture to say probably there's times that bias itself is necessary to make good use of a data. I mean, it, Bias, I don't. I think it's a very negative term. I think you could have a positive use of a bias, not a negative. Yeah, I went to a hacker conference back when, before ChatGPT was a thing. There were guys giving a talk. And they were trying to build a machine learning model that could ingest SSL certificates and determine what percentage of the internet you view is evil and what percentage of it is good. And they told the model to focus on specific facets of an SSL certificate to make that determination. And when they initially tune their model, the answers they got out the other side is 99.9% .9 of the internet is a safe place. Everyone loves everyone and it's great and there's no bad websites. It's safe <laughs> to be out there, guys. And of course, the, the, the researchers were like, well, we know that's not true because we're all sitting here in a room in a conference for hackers. And, you know, if the world were, if the internet were such a safe, great place, there wouldn't be a conference for hackers, like a DEF CON, Black Hat kind of thing. And so they said, so we tuned the model and we changed some of the parameters. And then what we got out the other side was, hey, the internet is an awful place. Stay inside your house, lock the doors, guard your canned goods. It's awful. Don't go out there. And so they wound up on the opposite extreme. And all of that had to do with the bias of how they were choosing to evaluate the data and what data they were using to train their model and to make those determinations. So it's it's very difficult to avoid having these extremes and bias. And did you have something to add there, Mike? You know, there's been explosive of large language models, how people consume them and how people are going to expect to work in the future as integrated parts of AI continue to kind of permeate all like how everybody does business. Right. Um, and I think that that's like the big thing right now is, is how are we including these new technologies, these new forefronts of AI and all these like different techniques that are coming to the forefront and how do we include them into all of the things that we do day to day to ultimately build better products for people and, and reach the outcomes that businesses are trying to achieve. Torture the data long enough and it will confess to anything. But don't let that scare you. Instead, see it as a challenge, a tool even, to look at your information from different angles and continue experimenting. So ready to get to work? Well, not so fast. One last word of advice from Mike and James. Even if you're a really small business, you know, maybe you're running a coffee shop, you only have a few employees, any business even if you don't intend to leverage machine learning or things to optimize your processes with your data, I think a lot of companies could still benefit from just taking a close examination at what data they have. Uh, because it's been my experience that companies don't even realize, in some cases, they could be inadvertently collecting data that they don't even realize they're collecting. And it could either be costing them in storage or it could be something that 
hey, there are legal ramifications for collecting this data I didn't understand, but just take a look around and inventory the data that you're collecting across your HR, your financial, your personnel, um, your operations organizations, just to have that comprehensive understanding of what it is you have. Investing in your internal processes uh, and understanding your own data organization is going to be really key for a lot of business owners out there that are looking for how they're going to leverage these things in the future and how they're going to consume AI to ultimately make better decisions. We know that these things are only going to progress in terms of the questions that they answer. And I think that that's going to be something that's definitely uh, worth the investment. Moving into the future, that's what data intelligence can do for your company. So to harness the power of data, keep this in mind. Everything that shines is not going to be gold. So before you start digging, ask yourself, why am I doing this? What am I looking for? Narrow down what information you need and it will spare you time and effort. Remember, data comes in all shapes and sizes. Sure, it can look like financial information, but it's also cultural values, employment rates, team efficiency. That kind of data might be unstructured and hard to earn, but get your hands on it. Once you've gathered your material, experiment with it. Every data question starts with a problem that needs solving. And you don't need artificial intelligence to do that, just creativity. But if you do land in AI territory, we'll be the human inside the loop. Remember that every AI works with content and algorithms made by us. And while data itself is not biased, we are. So look at your findings critically and fine tune your process. That's how you turn data into intelligence. I'd like to thank Mike Lanciano and James Chapman from Clarity Innovations for showing us that AI is not as scary as we all thought. Their cutting edge expertise has made us all a little more tech savvy. In Good Companies is a podcast from Cadence Bank, member FDIC, equal opportunity lender. Our production team is Sheena Cochran, Edie Pingeli, and Natalie Barron. Our executive producer is Danielle Cornell. This podcast is made in collaboration with the team at Lower Street. Writing and production from Andrew Gannam and Lise Lavati. Sound design and mixing by Ben Crandall. This podcast is provided as a free service to you and is for general informational purposes only. Cadence Bank and its affiliates make no representation or warranties as to the accuracy, completeness, or timeliness of the content in the podcast. The podcast is not intended to provide legal, accounting, or tax advice and should not be relied upon for such purposes. The views and opinions expressed by the host and guests in this podcast are solely their own current opinions regarding the subject matters discussed in the podcast and are based on their own perspectives. Such views, perspectives, and opinions do not reflect those of Cadence Bank or any of its affiliates or the companies in which any guest is or may be affiliated. The production and presentation of this podcast by Cadence Bank does not imply the expression of any opinion on part of Cadence Bank or any of its affiliates.